0: Hello, this is Father John Arnold and this is Oro Valley Catholic. We're in the 18th Sunday of Ordinary Time. It's a story about the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. You know, St. Augustine, the patron saint of the Diocese of Tucson, wrote, What is every love? Does it not consist of the will to become one with the object it loves? And so, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, is it about sharing? Is it about Something else? Is it about what love really is? And so let's take a deep dive into the Gospel of Matthew. Love's ultimate object is God. What we mean by that is everything that really is truly love has as its object God because what we do to others, whether it's your spouse, your child, your neighbor, the poor, you do to Christ. You remember what Jesus said to St. Paul in Acts chapter nine, verse four, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because Saul was persecuting the people of the church, the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is as much Christ as the head of Christ is. And so do you remember in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says when he talks about feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned, do you remember what he says? What you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. In all of that is revealed what love really is. And so we're gonna talk about love and what it has to do with the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. I think Catholics, at least the ones that go to church, mostly believe in the sacraments, that in the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist especially, God and humanity, God and the church become one, and it connects us all. It's not me and God. It's me in the body of Christ, this uh, connected reality, which sometimes is referred to as co-inherence, that we are all one in the body of Christ. You see, when you love Christ's members, you love God. And when, and when you love, you don't love one thing alone, because everything is connected in love. If you have a family, don't you worry about peace on the streets? If there are people you love, don't you worry about the plague, even if you yourself are not at risk? See, our experience of love begins with a loving face over our cribs, maybe our mom our dad or a really good uncle that's looking down on you with with love. And it's your first experience of being drawn out of yourself into somebody else because love connects. Our experience of love begins um, with that loving face, but it's because that prior to all that, at the root of all reality, is the God who is love and love that is God, that comes to us through creatures. And so we don't take the material world for granted. The material world, the love that we have in the material world, all points towards the source of love. We have many loves, many kinds of loves in our life. But really, they're all co-inherent. They're all connected to the one great love of God. So if love leads to the goodness of God, we call it charity. If love leads only to ourselves, what is good for a good old number one, we call it selfishness, or in our Catholic tradition, cupidity. I like to sometimes use the word cupiditas because it's Latin. And it says, boy, if St. Augustine was thinking about this in the 4th century, maybe it's got something to do with all human beings and not just me. That's right. We're connected even to the people in the past. The goodness of love is determined by who we choose to love. So love God in all things, and you have learned to love rightly. You know, we just had the Feast of Saint Ignatius of Loyola on Friday, and that's at the root of Jesuit spirituality, finding Christ in all things. The right order of love submerges us into a world of moral ordering. Why? Because in order to love God in another, we must learn to discipline our love. Because our love can be like a Roman candle spewing out in a variety of directions, not all of them really directed towards God. Okay, so for us Catholics, I think this makes great sense. But you know, to a growing number of Americans, they have a grimmer reality in mind. There's a reason why young people don't get married, why the birth rate's at an all-time low. Because if you don't believe that love goes someplace, then what do you really have left? Well, trying to make yourself happy. And that is about self-love. So in a godless and purposeless world, that is a world where nothing goes anywhere, the cosmos, at least in their myth of reality, came into existence through random chance And one day, along with everything, even our affections, every beautiful work of art and cultural accomplishment will be incinerated. The universe will expand and cool, and there will be nothing left but the meaningless abyss. You know, no one has yet to make a card for that. Happy birthday and happy end of the world. In this view, though, we're just individuals trying to be good as we determine it, most useful to us or the people around us if we're we're oriented that way. And really, the truth is, everybody is more or less oriented that way. Even the people who act out in bizarre ways think they're doing it for other people. You see, if we just enjoy our own pleasures, our own sense of what the good is, then all we really have is a collection of transient connections that ultimately all turn to dust. There is a Canadian Catholic philosopher named... uh, Charles Taylor, who wrote a book called *The Secular Age*, which is long—I've read a condensed version—but he calls this bubble of life, you know, being a bubble boy that's just about protecting myself. He calls it the buffered self, but it really the best image is you walking around in a big bubble. The buffered self is a human consciousness disconnected from the, any transcendent, any transcendent good from any meaning or purpose beyond my lifetime, lifetime or just my own life. For the buffered self, love doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't mean any way. It's just a feeling. It's an affection. Um, it's, there's no real good to be served except, you know, something that maybe is useful to people around us. So matters, atoms, protons, and the like are all that reality is or can be. My own sense of self, all my illusions of self are also just illusions of love, because none of it is real. It's just, like I've said, chemical reactions. Any purpose in life is also an illusion. Atheism is the grim religion of a decadent, privileged society. It's hard to think that poor people everywhere are atheists. Don't you think they hope for something more? Well, meanwhile, Christians, and mostly everyone who has ever lived, believe the contrary to be true. The poorest self is a self that's open to a transcendent dimension of existence that exceeds the ordinary daily experience. Plato, Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas, and, of course, the great St. Augustine, All knew that material objects come and go. We all know that. That we inevitably pass away. We share that worldview with the atheists. That all art and culture will cease to exist. Yep, we're there. But Catholic theologians and believers all agree that this world is going away. But there are windows from this world to the city of God. You can see the city of God from here through the lens of love. A window out of material reality. Because love points to something. Today's Gospel story is about transcendence, the presence of another world. Maybe we really need our current plague for our own good because maybe it brings to the reality what our predicament as human beings is. And so let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew. St. Matthew, and especially this story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, is very much about the transcendent reality in daily experience. Something as common as loaves and fishes. You know, the Gospels are are a coherent, connected account of the meaning of the life of the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospels, not a series of short stories disconnected from each other. That's why you have to Always take a look at a story that you're reading in the scripture. Think back about what comes before it, what comes after, start looking for the connections. So today's story about the multiplication of the loaves and fishes is only rightly understood in the context of the entire Gospel of St. Matthew. Let me first offer a semi-bird's-eye view of the Gospel of Matthew. And then let's take a deeper dive into the story of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes that you've probably heard a 100 times already, if not more. Because the story of the loaves and the fishes is not a moral tale. It's a tale about the presence of God in our life and what that means. And so the first story I'd like you to think about is right in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. It's in chapter three. Do you remember it starts out the Gospel with the birth of Jesus, and then John the Baptist preaching, and then Jesus is baptized, and then by the time you get to chapter three, Jesus is in the desert being tempted by the devil. And I know you remember that the first temptation that Jesus has is to use his power to turn stones, into loaves of bread. So here's what I'd like you to think about in the gospel of Matthew, in any gospel, when a symbol like bread is used in a variety of places, look for the connections between how Matthew is talking about the loaves. So it's at the end of 40 days in the desert and being tempted that Jesus uh, meets Satan. And remember, 40 days is a time of purification, a time of focusing what you're doing. So here's what uh, the third chapter of Matthew says. Then Jesus was led by the desert, by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So it's the desert, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's Satan. So Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, it's written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Think of the three dimensions of that story. The temptation is, prove who you say you are. The second temptation is, use your power for yourself. And the third is Jesus' response. What wisdom is, where the power of God points to. Look, rocks are about something more than rocks in the story. Power is about something more than power. Bread is about something more than bread. In this story of the temptation, Jesus sees his power, a rock and Satan, oriented in very uh, different directions than the temptation points to. Because the temptation is about a disconnection of material reality from the wisdom of God. You see, they point to the source of life, the word, the wisdom, the reason, and the Greek word, the logos, of God present in reality. So Jesus doesn't misuse power. He doesn't make rocks do something they're not supposed to do because everything that God has made points to something else. And so let's examine another story, more towards the end of Matthew. What I'm picking is two stories that bracket today's gospel about the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And I know you already know where I'm going because you know about bread. And so it's the 26th chapter of Matthew. And the story is about bread. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, from now on, I shall not drink this fruit, of the vine until the day when i drink it with you new in the kingdom of the father then after singing a hymn they went out to the mount of Go- olives so if you think through these three stories don't misuse what a rock is what material reality points to multiplication of the loaves and fishes then ultimately what bread points to which is this covenant and this place that jesus is lead, uh, leading us the Eucharist this uh, bread is a sign of a sacrament, is about a window into another world. Because bread is again about something else. It's about the passion and death of Christ. It's about his resurrection and ascension. It's this window. Uh, It's a porous reality, an opening between us and another world. The sacrament is the sacrament of this agreement, this new and eternal covenant. It's about the loving self-sacrifice of the Son of God. Ultimately, it's about the excessive love of God for us. Otherwise, I'll just say it right with the atheists. Otherwise, meaningless specks of cosmic dust that fight, cheat, steal, strut, and are capable of being sinfully nasty. That's pretty much human beings. We just don't boil it down to whatever virtues we think we have. Let's just take a look at the whole world of of humans. The story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes is smack dab between the temptation and the Eucharist. And so what does it add? Why is it there? So let's take a moment and turn to chapter 14, the today's gospel, where the story of the loaves and the fishes is found. Well, you know the story well. How many hundreds of times have you heard this? Perhaps somebody has at some point told you, uh, and they've taken it out of context. But the, that this story is is really about uh, morality, how we should act. So it's about that everybody there had bread tucked under their cloaks. Jesus' love inspired them to share. Well, this is a pretty Christian meaning, isn't it? It's just not what this story is about. This story about the multiplications is about God's excessive love for us. Think about it. The God that is eternal became a human being. He shares the speck of dust nature. God dies on a cross for us. God wants us to be happy eternally in heaven. Excessive love. Why do I say this stories about that? I will remind you of the last line of the story of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And it says, they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up the fragments left over. 12 wicker baskets full. Hmm, 12 baskets, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, at the root of the Catholic church, plenty left for everyone to gather everyone in. Jesus is more than just a great preacher or rabbi. He has divine power over creation. My friends, if you're gonna worry about multiplications of loaves and fishes, what the heck are you gonna do with the resurrection? i say once you believe in the resurrection, The rest of this stuff is small potatoes. But you have to understand it, because otherwise you never get the resurrection, this excessive love that God has for us. And it's not the only place in the gospel where they talk about this excessive love. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter two, verses one to 12. I know, the wedding at Cana. Do you remember the little detail there, how he took these six stone jars, used for uh, purification and he transformed them into the best wine that anybody at that party had ever had. Well, when you calculate, uh, the scripture scholars calculate how much that was, it's uh, somewhere between 130 and 190 gallons. Now I don't know how much booze you had at your wedding or the best wedding you ever went to, but I'd say that is an excessive amount. You are looking at getting in trouble with the cops. Jesus is not worried because at that wedding, Jesus is the real bridegroom and his love is poured out massively. See, both stories ultimately point to the central form of Christian worship, the Eucharist, to believe that God in his excessive love for you makes the Eucharist present. The Eucharist is all about divine abundance. How many generations, how many billions of people as the Eucharist fed since that little supper the night before Jesus gave his life. Because the Eucharist is this abundance that exceeds any expectations, any demands that you can make, legitimate or otherwise, of God. But both these stories, all these stories I've been talking to refer to Christ, the infinite self-expenditure of God. Think about this God of love on a spiritual level, mirrored in nature. How many zillions of seeds are produced by nature that never give us a plant? Have you ever tried to count how many seeds are even in those little flowers out in your yard? Or when you're on the seashore, have you ever noticed all the barnacles? How many? Do you know barnacles mate? freely in open water. So there's all this barnacle sperm and barnacle seeds floating out in the ocean. That's why ocean liners have barnacles along the bottom of them, because they're always looking for something to adhere to. So how long do they float around before they die and never, ever find a tanker to adhere to? Excess. Nature is all about excess. So is the spiritual life. Because excess is the form of salvation history. It's this incredible outpouring of the love of God. Saint I shouldn't say St. Benedict, but Pope Benedict, although I think he's a very holy man, who knows, someday. He wrote in his book, Introduction to Christianity, about this kind of love. He says, only the lover can understand the folly of a love to which prodigality is a law and excess alone is sufficient. Yet, if it is true that the creation lives from excess or superfluity, that man is a being for whom excess is necessity, how can we wonder that revelation is the superfluous and for that very reason the necessary, the divine, love in which the meaning of the universe is fulfilled. Some night when you're just sitting out looking at the sky and as Carl Sagan, an atheist, used to say billions and billions of stars. What the heck do we need all those stars for? Doesn't it say something about the love of God? And now I'd like to bring this all together and how St. Augustine talked about it. The great St. Augustine, and he is great, you know, he's the patron saint of our diocese, this riot cathedral is named St. Augustine, and his feast is coming up along with his moms here in August. We ought to do something about that. You know, what St. Augustine said about love is that there's something divine in all good love, something that really isn't just explained by being a material being. Love binds us tightly to those around us. We witness how powerful these ties are when we're at the bedside of someone we love as they die. Even in grief, we hope. That's love. Parents don't want to let go of their children. Lovers are incomplete without their other halves. St. Augustine of Hippo is special in that among he is among the first in our great Catholic tradition to realize that love is one and that all love is ultimately divine. And so we encounter the God who is love in the enflashed reality of all the simplest loves that make up our lives. And here's how he thought about it. He said love was in an act of the will. And so he says a right will, that is how that little person in you chooses. A right will, therefore, is loving another person when you see them as another Christ, loving creation, for love of God. A perverse will is a will where this love is twisted. It becomes an evil love that desires only our own goals, our own happiness, like a little God where we order reality over what I think I want right now. Love and acceptance of this complicated world that has so much in it that frustrates us but also gives us hope. Uh, All of this is an experience of divine love. But you see, if you think of love only as an affection, an attraction, liking something, you really miss the transcendent mystery of love. That bread is not just bread, a rock points to something more. And that love, your love, has a deeper transcendent quality and a purpose to it. I have been reading The City of God, which is a long book, gosh, it's a brilliant book. And in part, in book 11 of it, he talks about what a rightly ordered love is in all its manifestations. And so think about this. Have you ever thought of love like St. Augustine thinks about love? This is from his City of God. Thus, he says, love longing for what it loves is desire. And love actually possessing and enjoying what it loves is joy. Love seeking to escape what opposes it is fear. And love experiencing what opposes it, when it actually happens, is grief. These feelings are all bad then, when the love is bad. And they're all good when the love is good. It's all about how those experiences of love or oriented how you think about love as desire as joy as fear as grief they're all about you growing into something more than who you are it's about you being more than just a loaf of bread you're being transformed into someone that loves in the midst of desires and joys and fears and grief the God we worship, the ultimate goal of all of our loves, the one love that permeates all of these loves in our life, is he who we ultimately seek union with, according to St. Augustine, to see all of these things that happen in our life as somehow the experience of the love of God. We love and worship the God who is love because that is what we're made for. So St. Augustine says, because you know, you're not doing God a favor when you go to Mass, he says, For no one would say that he had served the interests of a fountain by drinking from it, or that he had served the interests of a light by using it to see. No one says that you serve love because you have all these misaffections. Because love is the greatest good for the human person. Love is our destiny. It's what we're made for beyond the simplest struggles of our lives, and through those struggles, love is the transcendent reality of the loving God present in the multiplication of the loaves and fishes and the miracle of the Eucharist. When St. Augustine used to give communion to the people of Hippo in his diocese, this is before the Second Vatican Council, he used to say, receive who you are. When we protect ourselves from love, we're buffered from a desire capable of being fulfilled, of a human experience capable of leaving leading us to god the joy that comes from possessing is the experience of a step towards the beauty and the unity of god the bore against all our fears is the hope that we have in the love of god and the door that leads to the grief of death is our hope in the city of god uh, the new jerusalem Bread's about something more than bread. Desire, joy, fear, and grief all point to the true source of love. The Eucharist is the sacrament, the covenantal love between the church and God. We Christians are a porous people because we believe all material reality, including bread and our many loves, point to that reality of all love that still dwells amongst us, causes us to desire him and transcend with him even in this time of plague. This has been Oral Valley Catholic, and this has been Father John Arnold.